I'm speaking today, so let's get into it. <laughs> I shall introduce myself. Um, okay, so I wanted to continue on um, the subject that the Lord's been speaking to me about, the territory of the inner world. Um, and the more I go into this, the more I, like, I just geek out. And so I've tried to really stick to a linear um, <laughs> outworking of this, but the rabbit trails that I've gone down, um, and then I sort of come back and I have a look. But I, I think that the, the topic of the inner world is one that you could just speak for for all time. Um, and in fact, Jesus spent so much of his ministry speaking about the inner world. His parables and his teachings, you know, he spoke about um, the fields of the heart, the preciousness of salvation, which we, we receive in our inner world and we outwork. He spoke about the kingdom of heaven, which he says is not an exterior kingdom, but it is a kingdom of the inner world. It is the kingdom, it's not an exterior kingdom of some future event, but the kingdom of heaven is the now reality within us, which is then growing in each of us to manifest in the exterior on earth. That is the kingdom of heaven. So let's have a look at Luke 17, verses 20. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees, and I find it interesting that this question comes from the religious people, right? And so it indicates to us that it is a religious mindset to ask, when is the kingdom coming? When is it going to be manifest in the manner in which I expect it to be manifest and the structures that I've created that it must land in? It is actually a religious spirit that says, when will the kingdom come? They had the kingdom of God standing in front of them. And from that place, they ask him, when is the kingdom of God coming? And he answered them saying, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. So that is observation of the eye. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. That means within us. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is within us now not a future event, not something that's coming, it is now within us. So when we see the teachings of Jesus with regards to the kingdom of heaven, we need to understand that whenever he is talking about the kingdom of heaven, he is talking about something that is an interior reality. Every time, every time he is talking about the kingdom of heaven, it is, he is speaking about that which is within us then being produced into the world around us. Don't stop at the, it's within me, full stop, and I'm going to go and live in a castle somewhere and, and close the door. It, like when the kingdom of God is birthed within us, it produces around us the very character and nature of that kingdom. So it must look like something, but it must start from the inside. Jesus didn't come as expected, right? He didn't come on a horse with armies, taking out natural armies, taking natural territories. He came to take a different territory. He came to take the territory of the souls and the hearts of man. 
And what looked like a failure to man's eyes, the cross, was his greatest victory. And we get to see the, um, the physical expression of the cross in the Gospels. But when we go back to the Old Testament and we read Isaiah, we actually get to see what was happening in the inner world. We get to see what was happening um, in the supernatural world, in the world of the heaven, uh, the kingdom of heaven. We get to see that. We get to see that he takes the keys, right, of death. We get to see everything that he accomplished, the battle that he had in that moment. So while this physical cross is happening, and yes, there is a real physical outworking it, it, it happened, right? On earth, the cross happened. But what was happening behind that in the kingdom was something far greater. And that's where we get to, we, we look at things and there's an expression on the outside, but what's happening on the inside is the real battle. What is happening in the inner world, that's the real thing that's going on. That is the power source in order to manifest what happens in the exterior. Jesus had such joy and commitment to the will of the Father that the external expression of that was a willingness to go to the cross. It, it, was, it was the internal world that gave him the power and the ability to do what was needed to be done in the exterior world but it was the power source from within. It was the power source of the joy set before him. It was a power source of not my will, but your will be done. That's a journey. The journey of not my will, but your will be done is the, the journey of surrender. And it's the journey of laying down time and time again, our will for his, our will for his, our will for his. What does that look like? Until it looked like the cross. Right, you look at Peter's life. Peter is my favorite because he stuffed up so many times and he was such a real person. And he kept, he kept getting it wrong and then he would surrender and he'd get it wrong again and then he would surrender. And he had these incredible revelations and says, get behind me, Satan. You know, it, he is just so real. You know, you get these amazing revelations in the Lord and then the next day you're like, oh, am I saved? It's like, what is wrong with me? It's okay. Peter is our prototype. But the journey of Peter is the journey all the way through to the, to the place where he was crucified. Full surrender. And that, that was the joy of the love of Jesus. That's, that's how he could endure that because from within, the world that he created and the surrender of his own will, it, it came down and under the joy that he saw, which was Jesus Christ, right? And so that external expression of um, crucifixion came from a power source of love. It, it didn't come from fear and it, and it didn't come from pride. It came from a place of love and don't even crucify me like you crucified my Lord. I can't even bear that. The, the love that he had, right, for his Lord, that was an internal power source. The amazing part is that Jesus' inner world came out around him. He loved. 
he taught, he fed, he disciplined, he had friendships. But it was all for the purpose of demonstration of the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. See, the kingdom is demonstrated in and testified of in the way we love one another. The external expression of a life laid down for him is that we would love one another and that we would show that love to one another. We would feed one another, would give food to those who don't have it, would give a glass of water to those in need. There's this constant expression of from the inside out, from the inside out. It has to look like something. See, he caused the kingdom of heaven to be manifest on earth through signs, wonders, miracles, wisdoms, and understanding that all came from within. In March this year, I think it was about March, during a ministry session, 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 (laughs) um, I had an encounter with something I hadn't seen before, and it had to do with the spirit of understanding, and it was two parts of the spirit of understanding, two specific aspects. And it came into the room and it was order and clarity. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you cannot have understanding without order and without clarity. And he said, so pursue these. Okay. So I started to look in, as I do, into scripture for for order and clarity. and I think that even in, like in the natural, whenever we're in chaos, we strive for order. If Todd and I have an argument, a disagreement, the first thing I do is clean the house. <laughs> Some sort of form of control, getting things into order and clean helps me get clarity about how I'm going to argue my next point. <laughs> and then Todd, as he does, if he's in the wrong, just goes, sorry, yep, I was wrong. And all that time, (laughs) building my case, I don't get to say it. (laughs) Because once someone owns their stuff, what can you do? It's like, oh, I really wanted to, I had a really good point, like I spent a lot of time on it. But anyway, order. Order brings clarity. It brings clarity to the mind. It brings, brings clarity to the manner in which you're then able to engage an issue. So the first layer that the Holy Spirit spoke to me about order was in contrast to chaos. And two scriptures immediately popped um, into my spirit. The first one being the one that we have been talking about for weeks on end, the storm, where, where Jesus comes from a place of peace. He's got an internally ordered world. Um, the disciples are freaking out because they've got an internally chaotic world and he comes out and he brings his world of order into that chaos and brings peace, peace, be still. The second one, where, it, where um, in creation, the Holy Spirit is brooding over the waters and interestingly, on Wednesday um, at our graduation for the interns, I received well, a, a gift which is very significant to me with a prophetic word attached, which includes reference to the water and the Holy Spirit breathing or brooding over the waters in order to bring order out of chaos. 
And I had already prepared this part of the message and I was umming and ahhing whether this was sort of part of my rabbit trail or like this was meant to be in here. So I got my answer. But there's a place in the Holy Spirit where if we allow him to brood over our waters, he will bring that beauty out of chaos, like creation. And when we allow him to brood over our waters, it actually gives a landing place for the word of God to come because it says that the Holy Spirit broods over the water and then God speaks, let there be light. So when we actually allow the Holy Spirit to brood over us, so we spend time, we dwell, and we sit in the Holy Spirit, and we allow the very frequency and the character and the nature of heaven to come around us, when we receive the Word of God, our um, system, our body, our mind, our will, our soul is already in the right place for the Word of God to come and start creating. See, it's the landing place on the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit moves over us for the Word to actually create light. Let there be light so we get understanding. So when we read the Word of God from the place of being in the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to brood over us, light actually happens and we can see the Word of God and we get understanding. And that is bringing the chaos into order so that it gets specifically highlighted within us, the very word of God to land and create. This is the place of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then speaks to me about his plans. <laughs> so this is, this is what he says to me. Every time I make a decision, Rachel, every time you need to make a decision, you need to have my plans out on the table. And this is, we, we refer to this as our scrolls, you know, the, the plans and the purposes that the Lord has for us specifically. He says, every time you make a decision, you need to have that on the table. And he says, you cannot afford to make decisions apart from the plan being on the table. He said, I know the plans I have for you, but you keep making your own plans and then trying to fit mine in around them and you're causing chaos. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. So let's go to Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And it says, he has plans and in his plans for us, there is welfare. We want and, and the welfare meaning, the, well, the word there for welfare means shalom, shalom, which is peace and safety. Interesting that we've been hearing a lot of that like the last two years, you know, safety, peace and safety, peace and safety, and all trying to do it outside of the Lord. There is no peace and safety outside of the Lord. Peace and safety is in the plans of the Lord. And so we want, we want all the benefits of the kingdom of heaven welfare, we want the peace, we want the safety, we want the prosperity of the Lord, but we want it in our own plans. And we fail to understand that all of that is connected to the plans of God. 
the purposes of God. For I know the plans I have for you and within those plans is a plan for welfare, not for evil. I have, the Lord has no plans for you that include evil, not a single one. And in my plan, within my plan, there is a future and a hope. And that future and a hope in the King James is about an expected end. I have plans for you that has an expected end. And that word expected end is actually a cord, an attachment. When we're in the, that the plans of God are attached to an expected end. And so when we remain in the plans of God, we remain attached to the expected end. The plans of the Lord, we are literally attached to hope when we are on the platform of the plans of the Lord because that is completely attached. We can have a, um, an expectation of the goodness of the Lord. We can have an expectation of peace, an expectation of safety attached to his plans. There is an expected end. In the place of his plans, we can call on him to empower us and resource us to fulfill them because that is part of the welfare of the plans of the Lord. I'll, I'll provide for these plans. And in the place of his plans, when we seek him, with all of our hearts, and that harkens back to what I was speaking about the, the, um, about two weeks ago when our heart does not condemn us, when our heart is fully convinced. When our heart is fully convinced and from a place of being fully convinced or fully surrendered to the Lord, when we seek him, we'll find him. It's in the word, it's a promise the Lord does not lie. So when it says when we seek him, when we seek him with all our hearts, we shall find him. The battle isn't the seeking him, the battle is believing him so that our heart does not condemn us, so our heart is in a place of um, believing who he is and what he says about himself because when we believe him, the moment we believe and we lean into him, we find him. The only thing keeping us out of finding him in fullness is us, it's never him. He is right there. He has done everything he needs to do in order for us to fully grasp and understand and walk in him. So then he starts taking me through a very specific agenda of, of how to bring things into order. And I think that this has to do with the season that we're in. We actually, there is so much to do for the kingdom. And there are so many good things that we can do, we should do, put our hand to. But the Lord started taking me through, you need to have my plan on the table so you don't get distracted by every good thing, but only every God thing, right? And so put, put the plan on the table, have a look, compare everything to that. Ask me, <laughs> okay, ask me if, if it's part of my plan and purpose for you. So he gave me um, sort of a blueprint. And he said, first, it's me. Your first priority, your first everything is the Lord. Every decision must be made in the context of him. And in finding my place of being, that is identity from which everything else flows. See, if we don't get that right, 
the being part first, the who we are in him first, if we don't get that right, what happens is we do in order to belong. Instead of understanding that we belong and from belonging, we then act. And that can lead to a lifetime of striving to try to get the approval of a God who has already done everything to approve us and receive us. He is not desiring that we try to get his approval. He has approved of us. He wants us to believe he has approved of us. And then from that place, we actually action out as sons, which is very different posture from an employee. Right, if you're being paid to do something or you've got to earn to do something, your posture is so different from if you already own it. When you already own it and you already own you're a co-heir with Christ, the kingdom of heaven is part of your inheritance. When you see it like that, you understand that what you're doing is building into a kingdom that you co-labor in with the Lord. You're a co-heir, it belongs to you. And so you're investing instead of earning. And that is a very different posture before the Lord. I'm investing into what we're doing together, Lord. I take ownership of it. When I do this, it's investing into legacy. It's investing into the kingdom of heaven and I'm co-heir with that. Instead of I'm investing now, can I get your approval? Is that, is that okay? Can I get my payment? He's already done everything he needs to do on his end and we need to take the posture of sonship and action from sonship instead of toward earning something that's already been provided for us. So first is him and getting my, my first priority is him and getting my identity from who he is and who I am in him and who he says I am and believing that. That's my first priority. My second priority is my scroll, the reason I'm on earth. And sometimes when we, because we talk about scrolls a lot, and then sometimes what happens is we take something that is from the kingdom of heaven, which is attached to who he is, but we pull it away from the Lord, and we make scroll an idol outside of Jesus, and we've, miss, we've missed it. <laughs> the scroll is within him. Everything is about him. We do not separate our scroll from him and like, well, I've got to fulfill my scroll over here. No, 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 it's in him. Don't idol, don't ever put any, the moment we put anything above him and who he is and the knowledge of him, we've missed it. We've got to bring everything back into submission, even the plans and purposes. When we start to focus so much on what I've got to do instead of who I am and who I am in him and who he is, we miss it. We've got to get things back into priority and back into order. So second is scroll. And then he started to speak to me, well, what, what is scroll? Like, how do you determine what is scroll apart from, you know, your ministry or your calling or your, the things that you do? And he said to me, your scroll is firstly family. And along with loving their souls and caring for them and championing, championing them to get onto scroll, my husband, my children, and then those the Lord has given me. Right, and there are very certain people that the Lord gives us, and those we are to champion, to um, identify the plans and purposes of the Lord, and champion and celebrate them onto that. So the Lord said, that's first. 
champion and celebrate those who he has given to you in order to attain that which the Lord has for them. And then he said, I need to find ways of restoring my soul that does not exclude him. And I, I, <laughs> I, thought, that, I thought that was interesting because he, he, he's talking about scroll at the moment to me. He goes, as the body, we need to find the way of restoring our soul that doesn't exclude him. And I think sometimes we pursue, this is what I need to do in my, this is my rest time, um, and this is my downtime, and I will do this over here, um, and then I'll come back to the Lord later when I've like, you know, I've got a little bit more energy, I've got some, you know, I'll come back to the Lord later. And we exclude him from the times of restoring our soul or our downtimes. We separate ourselves from him for rest when he is rest, right? And so he started to speak to me. Yeah, it's, it's fine to have your downtime, but never, if, if you're doing something that requires you excluding him, rethink doing that. <laughs> like, okay, that's, that's, I mean, that's a good start. If, if, if there's something in your world that you really need to set the Lord aside for in order to engage with, then potentially, just saying, maybe that's not an ideal thing to be engaging with, right? So we need to be able to include him in whatever it is we're doing because there is no restoration of the soul outside of him. He is the one who restores our soul. He is the one who gives us life. He is the one who gives us peace. He is the, in him is the place that we actually get restoration. And he says, and those things that he has planned and called me to, and all things pertained to outworking of that. And so it was like he set this up for me and it was like the plans and the purpose or the things that you do for me is actually sort of at the end of that list. The rest was the being and the relationship and the inclusion and the celebration of him in life and then from there is, and then the plans and purposes, like the outworking, the things. And so he really put those in order for me. And that, that's the plan I have to have on the table when making a decision. I have to consider every decision in the light of those things that are primary. And anything that is going to compromise or take from those things which the Lord has identified as being primary in my life, I cannot afford to engage in. So this starts to make having boundaries easier, right? It starts to make, give you, you know, a um, blueprint for making decisions because when you have that blueprint front and centre and you go, oh, okay, well, this is going to actually compromise my time with the Lord. I say I dedicate, you know, four hours every um, Saturday to really, that's my secret time place with the Lord. You will always get the phone calls that try to compromise that and, and, and try to pull you away from those things that you've set aside for him. Now I understand there are, you know, emergencies and there are things that we need to attend to. Also, don't think that doing your job uh, and earning an income for your family and to provide for them is not scroll. But you need to feed your family because you need to stay on earth 
And so, and you need shelter and you need these things, but it says not to worry about them, right? Don't let those things cause you anxiety, worry, because he will see to your needs being met if you're putting your, his kingdom first. That doesn't mean don't work. I don't say that for no reason. <laughs> Because these are the things that we actually need to hold in tension within us. We actually need to provide for our family. That's part of scroll. Right? We need to resource the kingdom. That's part of scroll. And so don't get so religious that reading the Bible is the only part of scroll. Right? It's the outworking of the wisdom of the Lord, the working, outworking of the understanding of the Lord. All of these things, they're part of your scroll. But make sure you know that. Make sure you understand the plans and purposes that he has for you and hold that when making decisions. Okay. So I'm not adverse to hard work. In fact, I tend towards it. And this is what the Lord's been speaking to me about. <laughs> there are times that this natural habit actually can deter me from my prior priority. I often hear the Holy Spirit saying, stop, dwell, listen, pause. The ec that extra thing that you wanna add to your calendar that's full and you're trying to squash things together in order to put that thing, that might be a great idea but that's going to cost you the time of doing the higher thing and being prepared in and out of season. And so there actually has to be space in our world for the Holy Spirit to go now. Now get up, now go and do this. But when we so fill our world with appointment after appointment after appointment, we can miss the higher thing because we're doing the good thing. And so he says, stop before, hold up the plan, see if this is my design for you and this is what I'm asking you to do. On the flip side, when we procrastinate, the same thing, see it costs us the same thing. An unwillingness to engage the process or an unwillingness to engage the work that is right in front of you right at that moment robs you of your future because you put the now task into the future and now your future is no longer available for the Lord to move on that place. Procrastination or overworking, perfectionism, all of these things are actually a reaction or, or a manifestation of fear. And we need to deal with them. We need to do the work set in front of us without procrastinating so that we don't trade our future for four hours of flicking through memes on uh, Instagram or something. Not that any of us would do that. I get caught on the cats. I could just watch a cat after a cat after a cat after a cat. And that costs me later in the day. Um, and I'm not saying like become a robot either. <laughs> but we do have to understand that when we procrastinate and when we have a lifestyle of procrastination, we actually trade our future. We're trading away our future time um, and our future ability to move on the word of the Holy Spirit. Okay, order brings clarity. So when we get things in order and we do things in a timely fashion and we actually have things in proper priority, we can then see clearly. 
And that's what the Lord's speaking about. Order to clarity allows us then to have understanding. So from a place of order, we can then bring order to our emotions. We can bring order to our inner world. And it sounds like to me, this is 2 Corinthians 10 verse five, which I'll come back to in a a moment, but we're speaking about taking captive of every thought in obedience to Christ. Not some, but every. And that takes a lot of discipline. Does this thought comply with the plan? Does this process of anxiety fit anywhere within (laughs) this plan of the Holy Spirit for my welfare? Does it, does it fit at all? Does this anxiety, if, if the anxiety has to sit over here because it can't fit on the plans and purposes of the Lord, then that is the thing that must be discarded, not the plan, right? Well then that, if that thought won't comply, that thought has to go. If that thought can't be brought into order and can't be brought into obedience, that thought must go. So this becomes a really easy, easy is the wrong word, Clear, complex, difficult, yes, but a clear way to assess the things and the thoughts in your life. When chaos rules in the inner world, it is a sign that every thought is not held captive to the obedience of Christ. And I'm fascinated that taking every thought captive is the weapon of warfare that Paul is talking about that is mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That, that is the mighty weapon. Our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God. Like that is what he's talking about. We'll get to it in a minute. The greatest strongholds we will ever pull down are the strongholds of unbelief within us. Those are the greatest strongholds because the moment we believe, the moment we believe we can say to the mountain, be uprooted and cast into the sea and because we do not doubt in our heart that mountain will move. So the greatest strongholds are the ones that are preventing us or stopping us or tripping us up from believing, causing doubt in our hearts. Those are the strongholds that we need to pull down. And the weapons, the mighty weapons of the Lord are strong enough, powerful enough to actually do that. So let's look at 2 Corinthians. 10 verses three. For we walk in the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, and that weapons, it actually means implements, utensils, or tools, especially offensive. So on the offense, actually taking it on, they're not defensive weapons. These are especially weapons, offensive weapons of warfare. So you actually take them into the enemy's camp, right? So these are for the weapons of our warfare and that word warfare. So I'm gonna break down this scripture a little bit because I get, like I got so, I reckon I did the whole chapter and I'm only doing three verses for you. So, (laughs) because I go on these geeky like rabbit trails Three hours later, I'm like, what was I even talking about? I've now got all these weapons. I'm talking about pathways. (laughs) I come back. 
So the weapons of our warfare, warfare meaning military service that is the apostolic career, right? So the warfare is military service that goes out, takes territory and builds. That's apostolic. The apostolic doesn't just take territory. The apostolic takes territory and then builds, right? So the weapons of our warfare are offensive. We take territory. For warfare, we take territory and build. They are not carnal, so they are not external. They are not weapons of the flesh but they are mighty in God, so remembering staying in His plan, in Him, right, for the pulling down of strongholds. And that pulling down doesn't mean just to like um, tear them down, it means to demolish them to extinction, right? So not rubble on the ground that we still know, extinction. They are mighty to the pulling down. Now remembering we're talking about thoughts, Right, so the weapons of warfare that we have actually take ground, they build the kingdom of God within our thoughts and those thoughts that are not in compliance, we can cause them to become extinct. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself, and that word casting down again means to violently demolish. So this is a violent scripture. Casting down arguments and every high thing. So arguments, that thing, the thoughts that keep coming back, the thoughts that keep trying to take over, those things, the reasonings, right? We can reason ourselves into bondage over and over and over again and we just about get free and then there's, but there's another reason. And the reason takes us right back into bondage again these reasonings, right? So casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself up against the knowledge of God. So even what I was saying before, even about scrolls, the moment we put anything above him, we need to take that captive and put it below. We need to make sure that we have that ability. Okay. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought, and the word thought there is perception, purpose and intellect. Making every intellect, all reasonings, come into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The word obedience there talks about attentive hearkening. (laughs) I like that word. So that means actually giving your ear in surrender to, submission to. Oh, Baba. Hang on, I was in war. Let me, you get this mommy. You find yourself in a different place. Let, let me try again. Hearkening, thank you. Hearkening, okay, let me, let, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought 
into captivity, so being held tightly, it's captive now, to the obedience. So the one guarding the thought and the one who is bringing the thought into submission is obedience, right? So obedience meaning actual submissive hearing, hearing that causes you to submit yourself to what it is that you're hearing, submission, and the root word there is to hear under. So it's the casting down the argument, so pulling it all down into obedience, bringing it captive, and causing those thoughts that are arguing and reasoning to hear under so that it comes into submission. That is our weapon of warfare. That is the mighty weapons of warfare that the Lord has given us. But I love this last bit. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So So everything that comes into obedience is now submitted to the Lord. So you've brought it back into proper priority. You've brought it proper submission. But then you get this weapon that gets to punish and bring revenge upon all of the disobedience or all of the thoughts or the things that try to attack you or come against you, you can get revenge on those things and retaliate. It means to carry out justice. So you get to carry out justice. So you bring everything into submission and then you get to carry out justice on those things that won't come into submission and won't come into obedience with the Lord by completely dismissing them. They've got no place anymore in your life. And if the enemy is trying to bring in the thoughts, then you can get justice in those places. It goes, no, they're not my thoughts. And I have now exposed you. And when the enemy is exposed and when the enemy is seen, then we can deal with him. So the difference between the 10 spies and the two had nothing to do with what they saw in the natural. They all saw giants, they all saw fortified cities, but two of them had submitted themselves to the plans and the thoughts and the ways of the Lord. They had taken their thoughts captive and in submission to what the Lord had said about it. And that allowed them internally to see it from a heavenly perspective, as opposed to the 10 spies who could only see it from the earthly perspective. Therefore, they saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight. It was only a matter of perspective. Nothing in the external world was different at all between the 10 and the two. It was only how they saw and knew themselves in him that made the difference. That's all. And that caused 10 to die in the wilderness and two to take the land. The difference of how we and where we see ourselves is the difference between the wilderness or taking territory. The two spies allowed the word of God to bring order to their steps. This is what the Lord said. This is what he says about it. And therefore that brings the order of the way that I am going to walk this out. This says the steps of a good man or a valiant man, a warrior are ordered by the Lord and the Lord delights in his ways. In the Old Testament, Sorry, I'm just seeing the time. Yeah, I'm gonna, yes. All right, let's stop there. (laughs) 
now I've got another one. <laughs> Let's grab our communions. <laughs> Spirit, we just thank you for your truth continuing to be manifest. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that is true and secure. We thank you for your word upon which we can build our lives. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that breathes upon the very word of God to cause things to be created and changed within us. We thank you for the transformation power of the word of God. We thank you for the weapons of warfare that you have given to us, which are mighty to the pulling down of all things that raise themselves up against the knowledge of you. And we thank you, Jesus, for everything it cost you to make a way for us to be part of the kingdom of heaven, to be sons. We receive you, Jesus. We believe you, Jesus. Jesus once said to me, my, my love language is to be believed. My love language is to be believed. <laughs> Let's just take our communion. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. And thank you for Moonta, Lord. We're very excited. 